Yo, this is Sam Sports Podcast. I am Sam Rosenberg. It is Tuesday, October 17th, 2017. You guys guessed it. We're back. It's me and Shaka to talk some football. Shaka, how you feeling today? What's going down, people? Uh, my Jets are three and three. It's been a rough weekend. I was on vacation in Maine, and I was spent the Sunday in front of the TV pissed off. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right, uh, being a true loyal Jets fan like you are. Um, can we, uh, this is, uh, so I, I, I reached out to you a little bit earlier and I said we're going to take a slightly different approach. Usually we like to hit uh, four, of the ga- four games of the weekend that we feel really kind of are worth ripping apart and analyzing, but I wanted to hit three particular topics that came up that I think just really demand discussion. And let's jump right into it. The first one that I wanted to talk to you about, Chuck, and for everyone else to kind of, you know, also rip this apart, was Austin Safarian Jenkins' non-touchdown. So let's just jump right in. Give me, give me some first thoughts. Give me what you're feeling. And also, what do you think, I mean, if anything, the NFL can do about this crap? Well, let's go with the official ruling from the, uh, the, the refs who called the game. Mm-hmm. They said that Safari and Jenkins fumbled the football. Okay. Which basically resulted in, oh, at least at the point of the fumbling, he was crossed the pylon. Mm-hmm which results basically in a touchback. Right. As far as I'm concerned, he lost the football. He didn't fumble it. He lost possession of it, but he never actually, you have to actually fumble the football. As far as I'm concerned, the fumble implies that the ball has to be loose. Like he lost the football. It doesn't mean anyone got it, but the ball actually has to be loose for it to be fumbled. Right. If you look at it, he had possession of the football when his knee crossed, I'm sorry, when I went his knee crossed, when he actually, his body touched the pylon. Right. That's a touchdown as far as I'm concerned. So worst case scenario from this whole debacle should be either A, it's a touchdown, or B, it's an incomplete pass. Because he never actually lost, he never fumbled the actual football. Which to me is what just, I, I, I can't tell you how disbelief I was at the call. And that's the other thing, is that the initial ruling on the field was a touchdown, they went back to review it. If you can't find a conclusive and a definitive, absolute answer, yes, he fumbled the ball. Yes, was an incomplete pass. If you can't have a conclusive answer to this, then the ruling on the field should stand. It should be a touchdown. End of story. Yeah. It, it, I was stunned, and I think I kind of reserved my anger. I mean, I, at that point, I, I think it kind of knocked the wind out of me in terms of the rest of the game because it really just stole all the momentum from the Jets. But I was more baffled by... Uh, afterwards, I think head head ref, I forget his name, is Tony Tony Coletti. Tony Correnti, like probably. Correnti, thank you. His, his actual, uh, his answer was, it was a pretty obvious, a pretty easy call to make. There's no fucking way no. that was an easy call. There's no, even every sportscaster no. or player out there thought it was a ridiculous call, and he said it was a pretty easy one to make. I think that's bullshit. I completely agree. I think it was total bullshit. This, this really, I mean... <sighs> You know, because listen, I start watching the replay just like everybody else, eight million times to try to rip it apart. This felt like it was right in the same realm with Des Bryant's no catch against the Packers in that playoff game, or the Calvin Johnson catch uh, that week one with the Lions, where it sort of touched the ground. Like this real deep analysis of what the hell classifies as a catch in the NFL. Because you said it, if he's losing, if Safarian Jenkins, because from what when I first saw the replay. I saw him catch the ball. I, I, I mean, from what I could tell, he had possession, and he starts moving towards the pylon in the end zone. 
And then they got a little bit of a hand in it, and he sort of lost control, but not really, because he ends up collapsing into the end zone with the other defenders, and by the time he's down on the ground, he's got the ball. And for me, I think you really hit the nail on the head, because it should either be an incomplete pass, or it should be a touchdown, because I can't really wrap my brain around this magical, he lost possession for a split second, and it was the split second that he crossed the pylon. And I couldn't agree more. The fact that it was called touchdown on the field, you said it, man. They've got to have definitive evidence saying that they're going to overturn it and go the other way. And for Tony Carrenti to say that this was clear as day, it was fucking clear as mud. Because you ask every fucking Jets and Pats fan out there, they're going to even look at you. I don't care how much of a homer they are. They're going to be like, it looked like a touchdown to me. The only people who think it wasn't a touchdown are the fucking refs. So this is something where... I mean, you also start going down the rabbit hole of the, what, you know, is it the Patriots? Is the game rigged? No matter what they do, they always seem to win. I mean, the Jets can't fucking buy a win. But this was something where it was just like, come on, guys. Come on. You really saw clear as day enough that, like, are we going to start replaying every single play to the minute detail? Is that where we're going? I, I, just, I hear you. I think, I think they got robbed, like, man. And I, don't, and I don't know what to do because I, I, I think it was a kick in the nuts. Uh, I, and you know what? Not to say that they lost the game because of that call. There, We can go over... There were many other things they did in that game. A ton of deficiencies. They started off strong. I mean, they really put pressure on Tom Brady to start the game and really got him out of his rhythm. They really couldn't connect on anything to start the game. But, I, I mean, there were just small mistakes everywhere, and the small mistakes compounded into, you know, ultimately what the Patriots are good at. Patriots are fantastic at execution. Yeah. And if you give them enough chances... They're going to fucking smoke you. And that's exactly what happened in this game. I can't really blame all of it on that missed call. I really have to put, you know, that was, I think, the cherry on top of what was already kind of a, a shaky game for the Jets. It yeah. just really the nail in the coffin in terms of it killed the momentum. And, and, I mean, the Jets eventually managed to come down the field again and score. But it just, it, at that point, it was that so much time had gone off the clock after that, you know, it, was, it was, uh, ended up being a touchback. And yeah. so the Patriots got the football, and they got to burn about three or four minutes off the clock in the fourth quarter. And by the time they just get the possession back, it changes the entire momentum of the game. Yeah. It was rough, man. It's, it's just It just felt really karmically painful, considering what the Jets have gone through and, to have, and their rivalry with this, you know, Goliath of a Patriots team. It just, I... It was a tough thing to see, even as a non-Jets fan. And, I mean, you and I were texting that day, and I just, I still, I don't know, man. That's a dodgy call, and I guess you, listen, it's football, I get it, but I'm we're going to be talking about this months, years from now. That's what I think. Yeah. Um, Look, like I said, man, there's still a lot of, there were a lot of things I liked. Um, I saw Buster Screen play probably his best game. Yeah, yeah. looked good. It was, really, it was amazing. I, it gave me... Because our, our play at cornerback has always been, even to the days where the Jets' defense was touted and so good, I always felt the cornerback position was a, a glaring hole, especially in one-on-one coverage. And Buster Screen played his, he played like this was his last game in the NFL. I've never seen him just be everywhere. He's an absolute monster. And he was always one of those guys as a, you know a rookie and a second-year player who got a lot of flack for being you know wobbly. But he, he made some big heads-up plays in that game. Uh, and honestly, if you play like that all year, he's a pro bowler, as far as I'm concerned. On the other side of the coin, 
Jamal Adams looked like a rookie. Yeah. Uh, and he had a lot of matchup problems with, with Gronk, which everyone does. Mm-hmm. But there were a couple of times where I think he underestimated how fast Gronk is for his size and gave him too much separation. Because if you give Gronk enough, you know, head of steam, there's no way you can really slow him down one-on-one in coverage. Yeah. So I think Jamal Adams got burned a couple times. And, I mean, to factor that in with the fact that I think the Jets – eased up on the, the pedal in terms of aggression mm-hmm. on the pass rush as the game went on. I think they started to play a little bit scared. Not so much the team itself, but just the defensive coordinator's um, attack scheme. They eased up a little bit, and they started to give Tom Brady that time he needed to, like we said before, execute. There were a couple big plays that, you know, when you looked at just how pinpoint and precise Brady was placing those throws, it, it just made me cringe, bro. I was like, man, this is starting to look very familiar in terms of a Jets-Patriots game. Dude, I was I was really hoping the Jets were going to pull that out, man. I I they had they had a good game plan. They came in, they they jumped out to an early lead. Ah, oh, God, it was just the same story. It was tough to see, man. So a lot of great things, and you know, um, Bilal Powell didn't play in this game. Yeah, that they I missed him. Jets, I think the Jets got away from the run a lot more than they're used to, and in, and in turn, we saw the Patriots using the run as kind of a, a way to even out. Uh, the defense they're facing and mm-hmm. the Jets had no choice but to respect the run because the Patriots established that. Yeah. And it eventually it paid off dividends towards the end of the game. Yeah. And you're also seeing, you know, the Patriot, they're using Dion Lewis more. He's healthier. Like they're, they're getting into a groove now. I mean, yeah. it's, they're rolling at the right time, which is not what anybody in the rest of the league wants to hear or see right now. So, I mean, look, the defense is still horrendous. You, you, you got Josh McCown throwing for 350 yards on you. <laughs> <laughs> not, not to knock Josh McCown, but it, he's he's not exactly considered like a deep threat quarterback. But lo and behold, the Jets, the Jets barely, barely, you know, they barely, they almost won this one. They, they, they had, they looked like they had this thing in hand until we got to halftime and the Patriots pull off some Patriots magic. Yeah, so they, the Patriots, while they are now clearing cut the division leaders. They still, they're going to have some some matchup problems going forward. Yeah, and and I'm still feeling very optimistic about this Jets team because even though they lost, I mean they were in it. They were in it, and they gave the Pats a run for their money. And I don't, and I think other teams that are not as strong as the Pats are going to struggle against that Jets team. This this is this is a, this ain't a tanking season. Sorry, Jets fans. Uh-uh. No man, it gives me it gives me a great feeling. I I feel like this team has more fight in it than the team did last year. Uh, and I again, I said it like. A million times. This is the rejects. Austin Ferrin Jenkins. Well, you know, as a legitimate threat on this yeah. team. Got, nice pickup. You know, uh, Morris Claiborne. Just saw a bunch of guys who just, you know, couldn't latch on somewhere else and are ending up being the difference makers right now for the Jets. It, it's a strange feeling, but you know what? I'm enjoying the games. As upset as I was at that call, the actual experience of watching a Jets game this season gives me more joy than I mean, it did last Because it's certainly not what you were, you weren't expecting it to be a schlock fest. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's, uh, let's jump over to the NFC and let's talk about the other big news that came out was Aaron Rodgers essentially going down for the year. Um, this is a repeat of 2013 when he broke his collarbone. Although I think 2013, he broke it on his non-throwing shoulder. This year he breaks it on his throwing shoulder. 
2013, the uh, Packers finished 8-7-1 and one and somehow still made the playoffs with Rodgers coming back in Week 17. We could be seeing the same type of Aaron Rodgers magic where he has to show up in Week 17 and somehow drag this team to the playoffs. But I guess my question for you, Shaka, is... Um, is this team done? Like, are the Packers, are they missing the play? If Rodgers doesn't come back for the rest of the season, are the Packers out of the playoffs this year? I honestly, in my heart, can't look at this Packers team and think that they have a shot without Aaron Rodgers. I agree. And not to write off Brett Hundley, the backup, as, you know, a lost cause. I don't have enough, you know... I don't have enough tape on him to even tell if he's, you know, legitimate or not. The coaching staff seems to be confident about it, but that's their job. They're supposed to instill confidence in your backup quarterback when he's thrust into, you know, this is... A terrible situation against a Vikings defense that's going to chew him up and spit him out? The Packers defense was not anything to shake, you know, to to hold up in high esteem anyway. Mm -hmm. So now I factor that in with... The, the one reason that your team was even a, a, an offensive threat is now gone for an indefinite amount of time. There's no timetable nope. on when his surgery is even is. There's no timetable on how long his recovery is going to be. This season might be over for Aaron Rodgers. And you know what? I, I think we'll know in about two games whether or not Brett Hundley is the real deal because about two games is about as much wiggle room as the Packers are going to have to kind of hold their, their chances of winning their division or even making the playoffs together. I agree. I I mean, I think this is a death knell for the Packers. I, I think that Aaron Rodgers covers up a lot of holes on that team. Uh, you know, they've been dealing with offensive line injuries, but Aaron Rodgers kind of covers that because he's so mobile. Um, they've been dealing with, you know, injuries with the running backs. Ty Montgomery just came. I mean, listen, he was fine, you know, but he's still running with a broken rib, which I'm sure doesn't help when you're, a running back and you get tackled in the chest. Um, You know, so they're suffering in the run game too. And then you start to think about, you know, like you said, you got about two games to see if Hundley's even worth it. You know, what about those receivers? You know, how much of a difference does Nelson and Cobb and, and Devontae Adams really make if Hundley can't get them the ball? Now I think he looked pretty decent, uh, you know, playing, you know, for Rogers this past Sunday, but with a full, you know, week of practice and then a couple of game films, you know, our defense is going to be able to start picking him apart. I, I, I do not, and I, I agree, I do not feel optimistic about this Packers team, and I think they're going to start sinking fast. Because I remember when I, when Rodgers went down in 2013, Scott Tolzien stepped in, and then, and then Seneca Wallace stepped in, and then Matt Flynn stepped in. None of them could solve the Aaron Rodgers mystery. So... I mean, I'm ready to stick a fork in him. I know this is football and things change quickly, but I mean, right now, unless I hear that Rodgers is coming back this season, they're they're not even making the playoffs. Yeah, don't ask Mike McCarthy about any other backup quarterbacks out there, especially uh, <laughs> Colin Kaepernick, because he he lost his crap. He lost his shit on a reporter uh, just the other day for even remotely bringing up the possibility <laughs> of uh, Colin Kaepernick playing in the NFL. But I mean, look, quarterbacks are going to get hurt. So I, I don't think. Why that, do you have a backup quarterback if the guy isn't going to get hurt? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it, it's going to be a rough season for the Packers. I I agree. Um, let's jump on to my last hit, which is my opportunity to rave and have my my weekly Eagles gasm. Uh, so Eagles are five and one. They're now officially the Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs are the only one loss teams in the league as of right now. Holy fucking shit. Um, 
I'm, I'm really excited to watch them play, but really what I'm buttering you up for is we are now entering the Carson Wentz MVP discussion. This is very <laughs> legitimate. People are talking about it. It's not me pulling this out of my ass because I'm an Eagles fan. It's actual people out there saying, no, no, this is a real consideration six weeks into the season. Now, I think that has a little bit more to do with how crappy the NFC is right now and how many of these quarterbacks are going down. Like, you know, I don't I don't really know if you can say Aaron Rodgers is an MVP candidate if he's going to miss most of the season. Matt Ryan certainly has regressed as of the first six weeks of this season. So you start to say, you know, is it Tom Brady? Is it Russell Wilson? You know, is it Drew Brees? These normal guys that you would normally kind of pop into your head as MVPs are, are you know, they're, they're a little bit behind Wentz right now. And give me your thoughts. Do you think they're, do you, okay. What do you need for you to say, yeah, I think Wentz could actually win it? Do we need another five weeks? Do we need them to be like, you know, 10 and 2 or something like that? Give me give me your thoughts, Shaka. Look, man, I, I can't really, I can't knock the hustle. The, the kid's almost thrown as many touchdowns this year as he did last season. Yep. His interceptions are way down. Yep. He's, I, he's obviously on pace to pass his yardage. He's halfway there almost already. He, he His numbers look fantastic. The Eagles themselves look fantastic. Uh, I, I, again, the only thing I probably knock him for is the fumbling. But at the same time, I think in just the system that they play, the offensive line, they can only do so much before yeah. he has to dance out there on his own. So fumbles are going to be an issue, I think, mm-hmm. well into the season and to the next one. Um, but besides that, man, the kid's golden. I, I, I got no knock on him. I think he's a legitimate MVP candidate. Wow. Um, if you just look at the players around him, um, Nelson Aguilar is playing out of his mind, yeah. so definitely something to be said about having a passing attack that you have a quarterback who can actually—he's equipped to do, you know, to throw the football deep and to throw it accurately. So, yeah, I think Carson Wentz is a legitimate uh, MVP candidate. I'm trying to think of who else he has in his atmosphere right now besides obviously Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't really put anyone else. I'm really trying to think. I'm, who else I'm, I would start saying like Aaron Rodgers, but now that he's dead, it's like it's yeah. hard to really be like, well, who else can we really say is a possible candidate? I can't really do Deshaun Watson. It's still too early. It's too early. It's too early. Um, it's hard, man. I, I thought about this before, and now I'm thinking about it again. It's, you know, Matt Ryan's regressed. There's mm-hmm. no real, there's not really any quarterbacks in the NFL right now who are, are standing out yeah. in terms of. Like, you know, the other big name, like Matthew Stafford. But but Matthew Stafford hasn't been playing MVP ball. No, Stafford got MVP money, but Stafford, I, I wouldn't say he's regressed, but I don't look at Marvin Lewis Jr. out there at Golden Tate as, they, they should be one and two, just, you know, just double punches. To, yeah. to, and they're not right now. The Lions are kind of underwhelming as well. There's no team... Or at least a running, maybe probably Kareem Hunt. Alex Smith is probably the closest thing I would say to um, another legitimate MVP candidate. Yeah. But and even it's that, fucking Alex Smith. Yeah, I, I mean Kareem Hunt has done just as much for that team. I would say in terms of uh, you know being a valuable player. So yeah, I, I I would say you know what? Let's go ten games into the season and ask me that question again. Okay. All right. I'm. I'm just. But I'm with you, man. I, you know what? I. You have a right to be excited. Yeah. You have a right I, to be hyped I, up about it. I mean, I'm. Get, I'm just getting a mini chubby. Just fucking even discussing these things. It's like what? <laughs> Possible MVP on the Philadelphia Eagles? 
You never saw this coming. I don't believe you. <laughs> and so I just I'm 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 still I'm still in awe at their play, how well they've played um, against such strong teams. You know, listen, they've they've they you know they played some schlocky teams, but you know they played the Panthers recently, and I mean they yeah. took it to the Panthers, and you know they came pretty close to beating the Chiefs. They didn't beat them, but I mean they made it competitive, and in in a in a league. And certainly in a season where we can't believe anything and teams are going up and down, we thought we knew them and then we didn't, you know, to see a team like the Eagles show some consistency, show some growth, and start to set themselves apart in a really tenacious NFC East division, I mean, it's, you got to take your hat off to it. And, uh, you know, listen, I have 5-1 and one optimism at week one, always. And everyone kind of believes me. And then, you know, by the time we get to week six or seven and the Eagles are two and four, three and three, you know, we all come back down to earth. But right now the Eagles are five and one. You know, the last time I can remember the Eagles kind of going on a run like this was Super Bowl time when they went 13 and three. And it's just, if you keep going, you keep rolling, this could really mean something. And if there isn't another person that really steps out, like if Tom Brady doesn't throw 50 touchdowns in the next 10 games, I mean, Carson Wentz could really be one of those finalists. You got to believe, man. And look, and you've got every reason to be excited. I, uh, I'm going to continue to believe. Um, but let's move on to the first game. Uh, thank you for, for ripping apart. I think these are big topics, but let's jump into this first game I wanted to throw your way. An opportunity for us to look at two teams. Now, we've, we've loosely talked about the Rams. Going over the Rams-Jaguars game. The Rams win this one on the road. But these are two teams that for a very long time have been just dog shit teams in the NFL. You know, the Rams have had, you know, poorly run, you know, front office. Jeff Fisher is a terrible coach. The Jaguars have also had the similarity where they've had some talent, but they can't coach the team. And now, for the first time in years, these teams are starting to perform and look like legitimate contenders, like teams that are actually being considered to win their divisions or possibly go to the playoffs. And... um both of them are kind of being affected by a change in front office and a change in coaching. And I guess I wanted to get some of your take on this game. Uh, I guess partial part of my question is, you know, how real is this, is this Rams team and this Rams offense? And then also, how viable is it for this Jaguars team to kind of win or keep winning with a defense and a run game and no real passing game? Give me your thoughts on, the, on these teams. Look, the Jacksonville Jaguars should be absolutely ecstatic that they were able to snag a running back of Leonard Finette's caliber because mm-hmm. offensive rookie of the year right now, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. In terms of, and I have to give it to him slightly edged over Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. This, I, I, that's going to be a hard call towards the end of the season. I may, I may eat my words, mm-hmm. but right now Leonard Fournette has absolutely changed the entire dynamic of a Jacksonville team that was, they sucked. Yeah, they sucked. They were terrible. Blake Bortles for us last year on the podcast was, his last name wasn't, you know, it it was an action word. It was, it Um, was a verb. You referred to bortling things if you like, you know, dropped a plate of spaghetti all over the floor. Yeah. So it's, their defense is legit. Um, But at the same time, it's, it's Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah. I think this season for them is going to be a, a great year to build on. Something that I think people were expecting for the last two years that they show great potential. Yeah. They're doing just that this year finally. But I, I think they still, they're still going to have to, to bring it up a notch. Um, look, they, they don't have Allen Robinson. Mm-hmm. 
I think some of the ceiling now, the, the the full potential, we're not really seeing this year. Alan Hearns hasn't really stepped up. Marquise Lee has been so so. I thought he was going to be great coming out of college. Haven't really gotten that from him. So there, there's still a few things that they could really work on. They could use in terms of the uh, the passing offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to put it all on Bortles' shoulder. I'm not really sure at the same time if that's strictly because Bortles just doesn't have the quarterback vision, or if the wide receivers have kind of they plateaued. Yeah, you know. I, I mean, part of me is thinking they're just like they are really not. They are running the ball, running the ball. Running, they're trying to not have Bortles throw the ball. And yeah. the thing that scares me about that is what happened with Fournette because now he's got like a hyperextended knee or a sprained ankle. He says he's going to play, but you get one more of those ticky tacky injuries, or God forbid, a Dalvin Cook torn ACL, and he leaves. Where does that leave the team? It puts you back into a situation where Bortles has to actually carry the game, and that's what we saw this past Sunday. They lost to the Rams because. The Rams actually made Bortles throw the ball, and he can't yeah. do that. And to the Rams' credit, I shouldn't put it all as, hey, letter for that's great. we got to give the Rams credit because the Rams' defense is not only great, but they really picked up on the trends and kind of they, they adjust. That's the other thing I have to give them credit for, and that's something I wish uh, my Jets could do, is mm-hmm. that the Rams' defense can adjust on the fly. Mm-hmm. And letter for that, you know, I mean, granted, he ran for over like 110, 120 yards mm-hmm. on this team. I mean, he did most of that at the beginning of the game. Like, I think for the first half was where he got mo- the bulk of those yards. Yeah, but then the Rams, no, you're right. You're right. They forced them to throw the football. That's the reason why Bortles was trying to get something going and couldn't was because Rams defense said, all right, this is what you're going to do. All right, we're going to stop that. Now you have to beat us another way. And lo and behold, uh, the Jaguars regressed to last year's Jaguars. They couldn't do anything. And this is what I my knock was on the Jaguars last year was that their running game was underwhelming and Blake Bortles is not he, he's not um he's not the guy you throw the game on. You don't put it on the shoulders. Yeah. So I mean everyone can kind of take um that that blueprint on how to beat the Jaguars. They have a team, but once Leonard Fournette has been the the beast has been contained, they're you know, they're not really Jaguars, they're kittens. So, <laughs> look, Jared Goff, uh, let's talk about another second-year quarterback. Yeah, please, go. Look, man, the kid's doing pretty okay. He's not on the same caliber as Carson Wentz, I think, but he's playing smart football. He's playing like a guy who's been in the league four or five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got guys like Robert Woods to throw to, you know, Cooper Cup. Like, he's got guys that not really... They're not prominent names in the game. He's got Sammy Watkins, of course. Yeah, but I don't know if he can really like. They haven't been able to include Sammy. Aside from that big breakout game Watkins had a few weeks ago, he's been pretty silent. Yeah. It's really not been anything where you're like, "Oh my God, this is terrifying." Uh, you know, of course. Uh, I think. Look, the Rams again. They're, I, I'm looking when I when I say this, I'm looking at the strength strength of their schedule. Yeah. Um, they got Arizona next. They got the Giants. They've got the Houston Texans. Mm. They got Minnesota. So we're gonna find out in about four games. It looks like they're gonna have two potential wins and two potential losses. Yeah, you know to really find out their medal because they really kind of need to go on a tear head. I think for me to take them as you know the real deal. They're four and two. Yeah, but but they're in the same division with the Seahawks. You know they could have a couple yeah. more. They could have a couple more matchups with the Seahawks, and the Seahawks could take it at the end of the season. But. I mean, we can't deny what the Rams have been doing on offense, which is so shocking because, you know, for years has been their defense, their defense, their defense. And now, you know, this this kind of brings me back to coaching because I'm thinking about the personnel, with the exception of Leonard Fournette, the personnel in Jacksonville and L.A. are kind of the same. 
You know, yeah. they didn't have drastic changes. I mean, listen, they brought in Robert Woods and Sammy Watkins. Yeah, that's a big change to the receiving core. But And they bring in some guys on the offensive line like Whitworth. But this sounds like coaching to me. Because Sean McVay comes in and all of a sudden, for a team that couldn't put 10 points on the board last year with Case Keenum, is able to put up 24 or 30 points on a team. And then yeah. you've got the same thing with the Jaguars, a team where it was like, hi, we spent all this money on defense. Why the hell aren't you just playing a game that's predicated on your defense winning the game? It's like Doug Marone comes in and all of a sudden starts running the ball and saying, let's let our fucking defense win the game. I, I, I just, in some ways, it almost feels like, what the hell are these coaches doing? Because you just said it. We know the game plan to beat the Jaguars. Stop the run and get Bortles to pass the ball. Why the fuck haven't any of these other teams done any of that over the past five or six weeks? It's it's mind-boggling to me that the Jaguars are still even in the arena or in the conversation of, um, you know, a potential playoff team. It, it shouldn't be. Uh, and it's really – I'm saying this just because I think it's time to, to really kind of – for the Jaguars organization to kind of look and say, all right, let's not kid ourselves. Is Blake Bortles, you know, our actual quarterback of the future or, or are we in denial? about where this actual thing is going to go. Because at one point or another, and not, I'm not talking about right now in terms of playing the Rams this early in the season, but let's talk about when we're close to the playoff contention and we're down to those make-or-break games, and it comes down to a scenario where Bortles is the man that, you know, has to, to make the decision. Yep. He Bortles it. <laughs> then you can't hide. You can't, you can't, you know, live in this, uh, this are they, will they, can they. It's, it's reality at this point. It's going to come down like a, a ton of bricks where we're like, why is Bortles still the quarterback? If we had a legitimate quarterback, that would get us over the hump and into the playoffs. I love that you're just like, and, you know, he, he Bortles it. <laughs> I mean, that, that day may come. I may eat my words, but I seriously doubt it. Well, uh, you know, uh, it's a really good thing they picked up his fifth-year $19 million option. Because I'm sure a lot of other teams are going to be fighting to pay him all that money. I mean, talk about doubling up, you know, on I I, I think you're completely right. Because I think if there's any positive sort of, if there's any victories or positive juju that comes out of these wins, it's going to put Jacksonville in some type of situation where Bortles has to make the play and he's going to Bortle the shit out of it. Um, And the shit, you know, in the top, they're in that division. They've got that schedule. That division. That division is until any one of those teams in that division becomes somewhat legitimate. It's a fucking joke. They all play each other so many times. They're all terrible. It's hard yeah. to take any of them seriously as a playoff contender. Uh, I mean, for all we know, the Jaguars could make it to the playoffs even with all it's of these flaws. It's, you're absolutely right. It's a frightening thought. You got Indy. I mean, Cincinnati. I don't know what to think of that team. Uh, no, Sandy. Bengals. Are, you're thinking of the Titans and the Colts and the Texans. Yes, and then do we go down towards the end of the season? They've got they've got the Houston Texans, the Jaguars do San Francisco 49ers. They play the Titans again. It, 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 Look at that! Be... Look, all of those teams are teams that they could beat. Yeah, Arizona. They play Cleveland again. They play Arizona. They play Indiana twice. It, they, it, it's a terrifying thought that, like you know, I I may eat my words. I doubt it, but then again, I I, I watched Jacoby Brissett throw the football the other night and. I may eat my words, so, you know. God, can we just not have the Colts on prime time? Like, I feel like they've had them on prime time three times, and luck is never starting. No, and I, I'm still. That's speaking of. I'm wondering what's the timetable with this guy? Because yeah, he's been practicing for the last three weeks, and he's still inactive. He's in the woods. 
Um, all right, let's finish us off with one of the last uh, games I wanted to talk. A couple of teams we don't talk about that much. We touched on them earlier was uh, the Falcons losing to the Dolphins. So the Falcons come off their bye week. They're 3-1. and one. They've had at least two games where they could have lost at the last second, but somehow they didn't. So they are essentially very close to being 1-4 and four, or 1-3 or whatever. Um, my point is that they come out and... They kind of look like dog shit against this Dolphins team. They come out, they jump out to an early lead, and then the second half, I mean, it's like they lost their way and forgot who they were. It felt almost like the Super Bowl a little bit. They stopped running the ball. They tried to throw it. They couldn't maintain possession. They couldn't, like, the the Dolphins, a team that can't even score, ends up scoring 20 unanswered points in the second half. And I guess I'm sitting here saying, you know, what the hell is, what am I supposed to make of this Falcons team? Because right now I'm thinking they are sorely, sorely missing Kyle Shanahan as offensive coordinator. And I think this might be Super Bowl hangover time. I mean, can this Falcons team even make the playoffs? Well, you know what? All things considered, the Super Bowl hangover is probably one of the things I attribute to along with Kyle Shanahan. Mm -hmm. But like we said, these near, these near misses, could have turned this into a completely different way, and it probably would be thousand hate. That's that Super Bowl curse, you know, where teams kind of just flop face down in the mud. Um, but somehow this team's holding on. Julio Jones is on the back of someone's milk carton. Dude, now dude why aren't they force feeding him the ball? He's been a non-factor at all in this. Um, Tevin Coleman's played some fantastic, you know, uh, running back right now, just in terms of giving them that additional uh, bump that they need to kind of keep them going here. But these games are too close. Besides the game with Green Bay, and even that game, I would say, was a close one. There's just too many close games. Yeah. And you got them, you know, going down to the Dolphins. It, this is not the team that was absolutely dominant and frightening on offense last year that was breaking records. This is a team that's that's barely holding it together. Yeah, and, and dude, you know, you just said they lost the Dolphins. That was a home game in their brand new stadium that they lost to the Dolphins who, I mean, dude, you know that Dolphins team. This is the Dolphins team that got shut out by the New Orleans Saints defense. Yeah. And, and essentially, listen, I, I know they scored a garbage time touchdown against the Jets, but they were essentially shut out by the Jets too. It doesn't make any sense. So uh, I'm really trying to figure out I mean, Ooh, I'm worried actually, about this Falcons team, man. I think there's a serious problem on offense. I don't know what – I can't – I'm afraid to kind of point the finger at Matt Ryan not really having that same kind of swagger. But I, honest to God, Sam, I'm not sure. I, I I don't want to say I need more time to see it. I think what we're seeing right now from the Falcons is a team that they don't have a solid grasp on this division. And, I, you know – it. It could end up biting them in the ass if they don't put their foot on the, the gas right now and kind of create some separation. Yeah, and, and a team that I think relied a lot on their offense being explosive. You know, this was a team last year that I think was really – they were kind of known for explosive offense. They were known for creative. They, you know, they were known for sort of these, these end-arounds and these gadget plays that were just – mind-bending to defenses and and being able to burn down defenses with Julio Jones, Taylor Gabriel, Mohamed Sanu. And now, I mean, there was also a lot of usage of Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman in the passing game, and I feel like I haven't seen any of that. And, I mean, it's you got to go back to coaching. I'm sitting here now saying, 
there is somebody different calling the plays for this team. And I'm pretty fucking sure it's not Dan Quinn because I know he's the head coach, but he's a defensive minded guy which means he's probably not calling plays, which means the whole time Kyle Shanahan was your play caller. And now you've got a different play caller in. And you can say head coach, you can say offensive coordinator, you can say assistant coach, whatever the fuck you want to call it. The guy who was calling plays last year is not there. There's a different guy calling plays. And truthfully, I think that's the biggest thing because the personnel is the same. Uh, At this point, all you have to do is pretend. You can just go back and watch all the footage from last year and just see the creativity is really what I think it is, the creativity that Kyle Shanahan brought to this offense. And you turn a guy like Taylor Gabriel, who was on the Cleveland Browns at one point, oh, yeah. into a, a, a stud, into a, a, a dangerous guy who you had to respect every time he got the ball and the screen pass in the backfield, and to now really kind of not really being relevant. You really, you know, you've got this giant kitchen with all these options, and you're sticking to, you know, mac and cheese. So, of course, they, they don't look... They're not, they don't, they're not dangerous anymore. There's nothing intimidating. And their schedule going forward is probably Ew. the more intimidating ones. They've got, they're good playing the Patriots next week. If, any, if they should be able to score on anybody, it's that fucking team. Yeah, they've got some serious uh, challenges in their hands. they gotta, they got to play the New England. they got to play the Jets. We know our fighters. Ooh. Carolina. they got to play Dallas, Ooh. Seattle, Bay, Minnesota. It's, Holy are, shit. They've got problems coming forward, man. They don't have any easy games, I think, except probably New Orleans, and that's just more in terms of a defensive game. That's going to be a shootout. Yeah. So they've they've got a rough schedule coming down the pipe. Here, last one right here. Uh, who wins that division? Oof. Yeah. Man, hot hot take the- right now. Who wins? That's probably the hardest question you asked me tonight. I still, I'm going to give, sorry, not Carolina. I don't know, man. Dude, I kind of, I'm leaning towards Carolina. Honestly, I'm leaning towards Carolina or New Orleans. Like, I think New Orleans is going to have a better record than the Falcons. I I think I'd have to give Carolina the slight edge just because I like where their defense is at. Yeah, I agree. I think the defense probably makes the difference here, but uh, really, Atlanta, this is is theirs to lose. I, I, God. This is, like I said, this is the hardest question you've asked me all night. That's a tough division. I'm still not in love with New Orleans' defense. I haven't been in love with New Orleans' defense for years. But um, Drew Brees is playing like he's 30 years old still. So uh, you can't rule them out. But I still got to give Carolina the slight edge Yeah, Yeah, I'm leaning towards Carolina as well. They've just looked the most, like, they've got problems too. But all around, they're the team that has the least issues in that division. Yeah. Don't even get me started with the Buccaneers. Do not even get me started with the Buccaneers. I don't know what's going on. James Winston Dude. seems to be hurt. I, it, Dude, Ryan Fitzpatrick looked fine. You know, when Ryan Fitzpatrick steps in and starts looking good for your team, you know something's wrong. That's like well, that's, that's moments before you get hit by a bus. That's also familiar territory for Ryan Fitzpatrick, where he comes in in a backup role. He goes, "Hey, he looks not bad. We should give him a chance. We and, should give him a, a, a huge contract." <laughs> and he probably shits the bed and runs. <laughs> oh God! So many teams burned by that Harvard graduate. <laughs> all right man that's all we got for this week uh everyone thanks a lot for listening uh you can subscribe to the pod- uh, the podcast on itunes stitcher and soundcloud like my facebook page sam sports station also follow me on instagram at sam sports station follow me on twitter at smithface jones and of course mailbag questions for the podcast email them to me and shaka at sam sports station at gmail.com dude everybody enjoy this week's slate of games should be pretty good shaka any closing thoughts before we get out of here? 
guys, as always, it's been a pleasure. Um, I got nothing for you. I, I think I think last week was really kind of a, a gut check for a lot of teams in terms of what they think they have versus what they actually have in the league. So uh, I, I think we're going to see some, some, some bleak questions being brought forth in the next two weeks or so in terms of what the hell we actually are trying to do with this season for uh, a lot of teams. My Jets included. I'm not trying to be exempt. I think the Bills are going to have some questions to answer going forward. The Patriots, I mean, as good as Tom Brady is, that that defense at some point has got to answer some questions in terms of accountability. And uh, I think a couple guys are going to be in the hot seat. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> All right, guys, you heard it here first. Watch out for these storylines coming up this weekend because you know there's going to be a lot of fireworks when we're talking about the NFL. Enjoy the games, and we'll be back next week. Take it easy, guys. Bye-bye.